They're gone. If you could please stand for the reading of God's word. Thank you. Reading from Acts 1, verses 1 to 11. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men, dressed in white, stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, Why do you stand there and stand here looking up into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. You may be seated. In uh, January of 2009, we began a series of sermons in the book of Acts, and at that time I was very excited about it. I love the book of Acts. I love the picture of the church, what the church can be. Um, and at that time, some life groups thought, you know, they'll go through the book of Acts kind of in concurrent with the sermon series. But I decided after a number of months to set it aside. It wasn't working very well. I'd preach an Acts, and then Nick would preach, and then I'd preach an Acts, and we had three missionary speakers, and life, it was all very disjointed. And I thought after 10 months of only going through, I think, 10 chapters, um, set it aside, but always thinking, I want to come back to Acts. I want to preach through Acts again. So we're going to start this morning with the book of Acts. And the timing is right now, I think, better than it was then. As we at TBC are recentering ourselves on the person of Jesus Christ, in the book of Acts, we see what happens when a community of people is centered around the person of Jesus Christ. And as I study in Acts, I'm struck again by the early church, by its character, its fire, 
It's trials, it's adventure, it's power, it's love, and it's effectiveness. And so I'm looking forward to walking through this book with you. Here are some of the things that we will engage in in this book. And you tell me if these have any relevance for the church in our day. Prayer, the Holy Spirit, the poor, church governance, leadership and change, sin and judgment and forgiveness, the reality of spiritual forces, people using religion for gain or reputation, releasing cherished traditions in order for the salvation of others to take place, the reality of being a Christian minority in a non-Christian context, church conflict, miracles, preaching the gospel, cross-cultural interactions, hostility from a secular culture and from the state, hypocrisy, and then just the realities of discipleship and spiritual growth and life change. Do any of those things sound like they have any relevance for the church in our day? I suspect that they do. And of course, towering above all of it in the book of Acts, flavoring the whole book, permeating the book with his person and his presence, of course, is Jesus Christ. In other words, this book of Acts addresses everything that has to do with the life of a church, everything a Christian church needs to know. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, a great preacher of 50 years ago, said this of the book of Acts. He said, live in this book, I exhort you. It is a tonic, the greatest tonic I know of in the realm of the Spirit. And I think that that's true because the message of the book of Acts has never changed. The, The idea of the book of Acts, the theme that threads the book together, is this. And it's just as true now as it was then. God's kingdom advances as Christians by our preaching and our living empowered by the Holy Spirit as Christians witness to the risen and the returning Jesus. That's that's what the book of Acts is about and that is what church life even today is all about. That hasn't changed. It hasn't changed. So the book of Acts. Let's go there. I hope you have your Bibles with you, by the way. If you do, this kind of track, you should bring your Bibles every week and mark them up and underline and highlight things. Who wrote the book of Acts? Well, Luke did. Acts is the sequel to the gospel of Luke. And the book of Acts begins with these words, in the first book, O Theophilus, and the first or former or the previous book is the gospel of Luke, which is also addressed specifically to Theophilus. And so what Luke says at the beginning of his gospel serves as a good introduction to the book of Acts as well. In Luke, he says this. Many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. And so it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Luke has a concern for historical accuracy. And his concern is that for the sake of his readers, that Theophilus then and us today can have assurance that what we have been taught concerning the things about Jesus Christ, that they are true. Because faith is not just about what I feel in my heart. Faith is not just about finding my truth. 
Faith that isn't grounded in reality is delusion. It's, it's self-medication. And Luke wants his readers to know that Jesus really was born to a virgin, really did die on the cross, really did overcome death by his resurrection. Luke wants us to know that what his gospel says Jesus said and did, Jesus really did say and do. That this is history, that we can believe what has come to us. A couple years ago, I belonged to a club with Charles called the Toastmasters, a club that's all about teaching people, helping people to learn to speak publicly. And a Toastmasters club holds an annual contest called the Tall Tales Contest, where contestants tell a story that is too fantastic to be true, and whoever lies the most convincingly gets the trophy. Well, people, a lot of people think that Christianity, that the church, that our proclamation of Jesus would win the Tall Tales trophy, that as religious literature, we can't really take it seriously as history. The Gospels are at best embellished and at worst just outright made-up fabrications. But this is no tall tale. Luke, the historian, wants us to know that it's true. He's carefully researched. He's, he's interviewed. He's spent time with eyewitnesses of these events so that he can give to Theophilus a reliable record. Theophilus can believe what Luke has written We can believe what we are reading and what we have received from the pen of the gospel writer. Now Luke's goal in Acts is pretty specific. To trace the spread of Christianity from its beginnings in Jerusalem to the city of Rome in the northwest. The heart and the capital of the Roman Empire. And by doing this, Luke is affirming that Christianity is not just the culmination of the religion of the Jews, but that it is a global religion, that it is a gospel for all people. And the spread of Christianity occurs by what Luke calls the increase of the word of God. And with that, the simultaneous growth of the church. And the increase of the word of God and the growth of the church occurs despite all obstacles, And Luke makes these repeated references that spread throughout the book of Acts and tie the narrative together. In chapter 2, after Peter has proclaimed the word, we read that there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Again in chapter 2, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Chapter 4, the number of men grew to about 5,000. Chapter 5, More than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Chapter 6, the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem multiplied exceedingly. Chapter 9, the church throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was built up, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Chapter 12, the word of God increased and multiplied. Chapter 12, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in number. Chapter 19, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and to prevail mightily. Throughout the whole book of Acts, you see these two things together. The increase of the word of God and the growth or multiplication of the church. Because the word of God is living and active and where it goes, it bears fruit. 
The church grows and is strengthened when the word of God is declared and taught and lived. And so to become a Christian in the book of Acts is to receive the word of God. That's why the apostles spoke the word of God. That's why in the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century, Luther and others defined a true church as a church where the word of God was rightly taught. And that's why we are a people of the word. That's why the center of our worship gathering is always the preaching of the word of God. That's why the main facet of my own pastoral ministry is the preaching of the word of God. And if we long for a renewed work of God in our lives and in our church, it will begin with a renewed immersion in the scriptures, in God's word concerning his son. So what place does the scripture have in your life? What place does the scripture have in the life of our church together? It's not a question of, as Mark Driscoll says, you have to read the book. No, it's I get to read the book. This living, active word where God speaks and still speaks concerning his son, Jesus Christ. This word that transforms our souls, that feeds our hearts, that changes our character, that fosters worship and growth. This word that has power. What place does this word have in your life in these days? Do you feed on it? Do you immerse yourself in it? Are you in it regularly, letting it speak to you and settle in and form you? And in our church as well, are we in our ministries a people of the word? In our Sunday mornings, try very hard to preach the scripture. In our life groups, do we study the word of God? When we teach our children, do we teach them Jesus from the scriptures? When the praise teams practice and sing, when the choir gets together, does the scripture find its way? Does the word of God find its way in? I suspect it does, because we often sing it. The Beatitudes are the word of God. But are we a people of the word? Are we about the ministry of the word? Because there's no deepening of the soul, there's no growth of the church apart from the word of God. And our knowledge of Jesus, our experience of Jesus, our love for Jesus will be directly proportional to the place that the scripture has in our life and has in our church. The increase of the word of God and the growth of the church occur together. I'll just say that again. Our knowledge of God of Jesus, our experience of him, and our love for him will be directly proportional to the place that scripture has in our life and in our church. If we long for a renewed work of God in our lives, it will begin with a renewed immersion in the church because the increase of the word of God and the growth of the church go together. And we see this repeatedly in the book of Acts. So as we've seen, Luke addresses this book to Theophilus and is concerned that he knows the the historical reliability of what he's been taught. But notice that Luke says that in his first book, in the Gospel of Luke, 
He dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day that Jesus was taken up. Not what Jesus did, but what Jesus began to do. When Jesus walked on earth proclaiming the kingdom, healing people, when he died on the cross bearing the judgment of God for the sins of the world, when he rose again, this was the work that Jesus began to do. And Luke is implying that what he's recording now in the book of Acts is a record of what Jesus continues to do. So this is not really the Acts of the Apostles, which is the name the book has had since about 100 years after Luke wrote it, nor is it the Acts of the Holy Spirit, which some have suggested as a title in more recent years. The right title for this book would be the Acts of Jesus Christ. Because even though the Holy Spirit is a dominant presence in the book of Acts, and even though the story of the book of Acts follows chiefly Peter and Paul, the apostles, Jesus is the focus of the book of Acts. It's about him. Jesus is the chief actor in the book of Acts. He is the subject of the teaching and the ministry of the apostles. It is Jesus' Holy Spirit that is at work in Jesus' apostles. The church is Jesus' church. The mission is Jesus' mission. I can't emphasize that enough. It's never about what we as a church can do for Jesus. We don't ask Jesus to bless what we're doing. What we do is ask Jesus, what are you doing? What is it that you want us to do? And then we do that. It's absolutely central to what it means for us to be the church. The acts of Jesus Christ. And Luke, in this first part of the book, summarizes the 40 days between Jesus' resurrection and Jesus' ascension with these words. To them, that is the apostles, Jesus presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now, it's no accident that Luke places this so early in his account of the early church, that Jesus appeared frequently to his apostles and gave many proofs that he was alive, that he, the crucified one, was risen and powerfully alive. And Jesus' resurrection shows up in every sermon in the book of Acts. Wherever his apostles preached the gospel, they preached that the Jesus who had been crucified was raised from the dead. They always talked about the resurrection. And by the end of 40 days, the disciples knew nothing so certainly as they knew that Jesus was alive. He'd appeared to them many times. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 records some of Jesus' appearances, including one to over 500 people at one time. Jesus ate with the disciples. He spoke with them. He came to them in Galilee. He appeared to them in Jerusalem. He appeared to some of them on the road as they were walking. And their encounters with Jesus, resurrected and powerfully alive, transformed them completely. And Christianity, alone of all of the world's great religions, is not centered upon the teachings of some distant spiritual leader. Christianity is centered upon 
a Lord who is living, who is present, who is active in the world today. And the knowledge of the living Jesus and the service for the living Jesus is at the same time the world's most basic need and every person's highest, most noble calling. And that truth informs, inflames our mission, informs and inflames all that we do and are as a church. Here is somebody spiritually hungry and seeking They don't need Christianity. They don't need the church. They don't need religion. They need Jesus. Here is a friend whose marriage is crumbling and they're in despair. They don't need relationship techniques or attitude adjustments. They need Jesus. Here's someone who's entirely secular and entirely unhappy. Here's someone struggling with an addiction. Here is someone so scarred with a hurt from the past that they can hardly even function today. They don't need therapy. They don't need to believe in themselves. They need Jesus. Here is your neighbor. Here is your coworker. Here is your friend. And maybe today, here are you. And it's Jesus himself, risen and alive and powerful and present, who is needed. The Jesus who said, come and I'll give you rest. Jesus who said, Come, follow me. The Jesus who said, I have come that they might have life to the full. Jesus lives. And there is nothing needed by anyone so much as to have the living Jesus at the center of their life. And so the question for us today is, is the living Jesus at the center of your life? Not just do you believe in Jesus or even do you believe that he's alive as some theological or doctrinal affirmation, but is the living Jesus at the center of your life? Is the living Jesus at the center of our life together as a church? You are not the most important person in your own life. Did you know that? Jesus is. Jesus is the most important person in my life. It's the reality of the living Jesus that, again, informed and inflamed the church of Acts. It was the certain knowledge that Jesus was alive that turned the defeated and demoralized and fearful apostles, followers of a crucified leader, into the dynamic and confident and powerful community that transformed their world. It was the resurrection of Christ that changed them in order that they could go and testify to him and change the world. And so our mission as a church is not to make better people. It's not to make converts to Christianity. It is to know the living Jesus and to make this living Jesus known to others or to use Acts terminology, to be Jesus' witnesses. That's what he told his followers in verse 8. He said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, even to the end of the earth. Witnesses to whom? 
witnesses to the Jesus whom they'd known so closely for three years, whose miracles they had seen, whose teachings they had received, whom they had seen die, but whom they now knew was alive and glorified. You will witness to me, Jesus said. He didn't say, pass on my teachings. He said, witness to me. In Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Okay, Jerusalem, the city in which they were staying, the two surrounding provinces of Judea and Samaria, and then to the whole world. And that becomes the outline of the book of Acts, chapters 1 through 7 in Jerusalem. In chapter 8, the gospel comes to Samaria. Chapters 9 through 12, the gospel spreading throughout Judea and even then beginning to spill over the borders. And then chapter 13 to the end of the book, across the Mediterranean world into Rome itself. Now, if that commission of Jesus came to us, which it has, came to you, came to Thornhill Baptist Church to be witnesses to him, what's our Jerusalem? What's your Jerusalem? It might be building faith at home. It might be bringing the kingdom to your neighbors who live on your left and your right and across the street. It might be the people in your office, in your club, in your classroom, in your workplace. And our Jerusalem as a church also includes this neighborhood right here, the people who live around this building. Just by virtue of the fact that we have erected a building that is a church for the sake of Jesus Christ makes us the visible presence of Jesus in this neighborhood. And therefore, we have the calling here to be the fragrance of Christ in this neighborhood. To be his presence, to to speak his truth, to model and demonstrate his love to a community that also needs Jesus, the living Jesus, more than they need anything else. And part of our renewal these days as a church needs to be a serious look at our relationship to this neighborhood and what it means to be the fragrance of Christ here. Are we the witness of Jesus Christ in this place? That's why we open our church in the summer to the Royal City Soccer Club on days when it's too rainy for them to be outside. That's why we had a dinner a couple months ago and a sale just a few weeks ago. Just to host our neighborhood to invite them in. But we also need to think about what it looks like not to have our neighbors come here, but for us to be out there as well, serving and caring and loving and sharing. Jerusalem. What about our Judea and our Samaria? What about what lies just outside of our natural comfort zone or the circles in which we move? You know, the city of Calgary or the province of Alberta. We support the mustard seed. We support the Calgary Pregnancy Care Center. What would it look like for us to actually partner with them, with our hands and our feet and our time and not just with our checks, though that is good. Don't stop that. But what would it look like to get our hands dirty and to to serve and to be out there in our Judea and Samaria? Maybe you could take some vacation time and go with Samaritan's Purse to help clean up Slave Lake. Or go to Quebec and help with the floods there. But it doesn't stop there either, right? To the end of the earth. The the global mission is also our responsibility. So Darfur, 
is our responsibility. And what would it look like for us again at Thornhill to expand our concern for the world beyond our missions checks? Okay, maybe not everyone can afford to go, but a lot of us could. And it doesn't have to be a church trip. We could just go. Have you ever thought about it? Instead of vacation, why not go with Samaritan's Purse to Liberia or to Nepal or to Japan? Why not, why not put your nursing skills or dental skills or teaching ability or cooking ability or building ability to work someplace where it's needed in the world? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever asked Jesus if he's thinking about that for you? Maybe he is. What is your first step as you think about your Jerusalem and your Judea and Samaria and the world? It might just be to ask God. But maybe you already know what your first step needs to be. But notice that Jesus said, Jesus ordered that they must not leave Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit came upon them. That they were not just to take their marching orders, roll up their sleeves, and get to work. Why not? Because then it really would be the Acts of the Apostles. But this mission was the work of Jesus. And so the Spirit of Jesus would come upon them and fill them with divine power to be effective witnesses for Jesus. The whole book of Acts demonstrates the power of the Holy Spirit. He added power to their words so that when Peter preached, 3,000 got saved. There was power in their community life together. Their care for each other was powerful and made everyone around them stand in awe. There were healings. There were encounters with demonic forces. There were other miracles. And there's no way that these redneck Galileans could have launched this movement in this way with churches in every major Mediterranean city all the way to Rome in less than three decades. But when the Holy Spirit fell on them and clothed them with fire and with power, well, you'll see that throughout the book of Acts, that it's God's Spirit through the apostles. And it will only be his Holy Spirit in us and through us that Jesus advances his kingdom. If someone comes to faith through our testimony, through our ministries, it'll be because the Holy Spirit has done something and moved in their life. And so we are dependent on and desperate for the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. In a couple weeks, when we come to the Pentecost passage in chapter 2, we'll talk more about this. But we realize today that it's not just about Thornhill Baptist Church doing our job. It's about our being filled with and sensitive to and obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. Then after Jesus has commissioned them, he's lifted up before them and a cloud hides him from their sight. This is not a cloud of fog, but a cloud of the glory of God. When God's presence descended on Mount Sinai and later filled the tabernacle, it was manifested as a cloud. When Jesus was glorified before Peter and James and John, a cloud of the glory of God enveloped them. And so here at his ascension, Jesus is taken up in a cloud. This is about the glory of Jesus. And not that heaven is up there, but this manifests to his disciples visibly that Jesus is exalted, lifted up, glorified, elevated to the place at the right hand of the throne of God, his Father.
Notice how this passage ends, though. As the disciples are quite naturally staring up into heaven, suddenly two angels appear before them and draw their attention back down to earth. Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking up into heaven? For the same Jesus whom you've seen go up into heaven will come back in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Having just had their Lord depart from them, with his commission to them to be his witnesses at home and abroad, they receive immediately the promise of his return. And so do we. And it's in the hope and certainty of the return of Christ that we go about our mission to be Jesus' witnesses. For Jesus is coming back. We witness, we witness to Jesus, the risen Jesus, who is alive, who still changes lives, who redeems people, but to that very same Jesus who is also returning, coming back someday. And we are at once rooted in the historical event in the past of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but also have our faith fixed firmly in the future on the certainty of Jesus' return. And do we live as though Jesus is returning? Do we live as though there is a timeline, an end? Do we live as though our stuff will someday vanish in smoke and disappear, that it's all fleeting? The hymn writer put it this way, let us labor for the master from the dawn till setting sun. Let us talk of all his wondrous love and care. We only have till setting sun. We don't know when that is. Jesus himself said it's not for us to know. But we do know that there is a setting sun. We do know that he is coming back. We don't know how long we have. There might not be a next week for your neighbor for the person whom God has placed in your world. There might not be another new year for us. And so the church in the book of Acts and the church today, us, Thornhill Baptist Church, here as we go about our mission, Christ builds his church as we witness to the risen Jesus, is the living Jesus central in your life, as we witness to the risen Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit, are we sensitive and obedient to the leading of God's Spirit? We witness to the risen Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit in our homes, in our communities, and abroad. So, What is your next step there until Jesus comes back? May we, the people of Thornhill Baptist Church, faithfully witness to the risen Christ whom we know. And may the word of God increase and bear fruit. And may many people be added to the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. living Jesus and Lord of the church. We acknowledge you right now and commit ourselves to being your witnesses. We ask that you will help us through your scripture and by the power of your spirit, help us to know you and to make you known. This we pray in your name that your name might be glorified. Amen.
Let's sing to close our service hymn number